Good morning, saints. Good morning, sinners. So who's in the final four? I don't play basketball. I'm short and squatty. I never get into it. Is there only one team now? How many are in there? I thought I got it down to the final four. Didn't the team make it to the final four? Down to the final six. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. See, I don't really care. So I, I don't know these things. That's right, because George is not in it. Amen to that, girl. Amen to that. Turn in your Bible to uh, the book of Joshua, uh, the book of Joshua chapter 5, and we're going to be reading verses 9 through 12. Uh, Joshua is the fifth book in the Bible. So as you're flipping through and you can want to cheat, you can kind of go back and go, you know, Genesis, Joshua. Uh, we're picking up, <coughs> excuse me, we're picking up in the story. Um at a place where there are some crucial transitions occurring in the life of the community. Uh, at first blush, the text that we're reading from today is very benign, and quite frankly, it sounds more like just a brief blip on the History Channel that you kind of yawn at than anything else. Uh, you wonder why it is in the lectionary in the season of Lent. It doesn't sound very Lentish, uh, and yet here it was... Um, and so I want to provide the context to help us see why it is in the Lenten readings. Um, Moses has spent an entire generation, that is 40 years, um, cat herding uh, the Hebrews through the wilderness from Egypt. Um, the Hebrews were feeling the pain of the Egyptians' wrath and oppression. Uh, their cry went to God. God showed up to Moses in a burning bush. Um, and said, Moses, I want you to go and lead, lead my people out. Tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And so Moses, that's what he did. He went down and he went and he went back to Egypt and he led the people out, um, the Hebrews. And the Hebrews uh, were really nothing more than a loose group of ragamuffin um, tribes um, that were kind of connected but not really. And what happens in the wilderness is that they change. And they become lean and worship the one true God. And this is where we pick up in our text. Joshua chapter 5, verses 9 through 12. Listen to the word of the Lord. The Lord God said to Joshua, quote, Today I have rolled away from you the distance or the disgrace of Egypt. And so that place is called Gilgal to this day. Gilgal means to roll away. While the Israelites were camped in Gilgal, they kept the Passover in the evening on the 14th day of the month in the plains of Jericho. On the day after Passover... On that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day they ate the produce of the land, and the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Pretty sexy text. 
Why is it included in the lectionary readings? Well, it's in the lectionary readings, my friends, because it describes a starting over. It describes a starting over, a reboot, a a continuation in a new way of what has already begun. It's a story for taking what the people had learned in the wilderness and apply what they have learned into a new way of life and being a new type of community. You see, everything has changed for these Hebrews, this ragabuffin group of 12 tribes. What's changed for them? First, the big thing is Moses is dead. Their leader is dead. They have a new leader named Joshua. For an entire generation, Moses led and served as God's leader to these tribes of Hebrews. And God was with Moses in the midst of the people. Moses has had an entire generation from bringing little babies up like we heard singing at Happy Land until they graduate and go to college and become adults. He had a whole generation with those, with those people. He had proved his mettle as a leader. It was a relationship Moses and the Hebrews developed through blood, sweat, and tears. At times there was great joy. A lot of times there were a lot of tears. But this relationship in the wilderness shaped who they were as a people of God and also shaped Moses as a leader. Now Moses has died. A new leader was lifted up for these people named Joshua. And Moses and Joshua were the same in that they were called by God, but yet they were also called to lead the people. But they were also a little different. Moses and Joshua had different leadership styles. Moses might have been a little bit more pious, prayerful. Joshua more take charge, Let's go get them. They had different sets of gifts and graces. One was not better than the other. They were just different. That's the first major difference or change for these people. But what else had changed for the Hebrews? Well, secondly, they have shifted their way of life. I don't know if you notice the subtlety of these texts. They are no longer nomads wandering in the desert. They are no more wandering vagabonds in the wilderness. God has brought them to the place, the promised land, the place of milk and honey. They have moved from nomads to settlers. They have moved from being nomads, a generation of nomads, and have begun moving to a specific place where there are resources and abundant food to feed them all. They become settlers. They've taken the land. They're no longer drifting from resource to resource. Nomads and settlers, my friends, have different ways of living and behaving, don't they? Imagine living in the back of your car or truck for 40 years. And then all of a sudden, someone says, we've got a driveway 
and a garage and a house to back, up, to back that up. You don't need that car like you used to. Everything changes, doesn't it, when you move from a nomad to a settler or a homesteader. Their, their provision from God even changed. Did you notice that? What had God been feeding them in the wilderness all those many years? Manna. Manna and quail. And what did we hear in our today's text? No longer is God giving them manna to eat every morning. They had to learn how to adapt to their new circumstances and environment. They had to become farmers. Some had to become fishermen. They had to learn how to grow their own sustainable food source in their new home. Their life has shifted. The culture had changed. The third thing we see that has changed for the Hebrews, and it was a very subtle change for the people, and you may have missed it. Did you notice what they're called? They're no longer Hebrews. They are no longer this ragamuffin group of vagabonds in the wilderness. But now that they've crossed into the land of promise, what have they become? Israelites. Where before they were a disparate group of 12 tribes, they've crossed the river, they are now a nation under God. They're no longer called Hebrews, they're called Israelites. No longer are they this loose group, this loose confederation of clans moving through the wilderness. They have settled, they become a nation. Their identity is changing and has changed. They become the nation of Israel. God is their king. Once they were slaves and nobodies, now they're the nation of Israel. Three subtle shifts that have changed. And they're huge. They're Teutonic. That's why this story is in the lectionary for Lent. Friends, our story today shows us how a community's life and transitions shape their identity. A community's life and transitions shape a community's identity. When a community shares certain experiences together, they are forged into a tighter community because of those shared experiences. It's a story, my beloved, that reminds us that change is inevitable. And transitions do occur in our lives, in our community. And if we don't adapt to those changes, if we don't adapt and respond to those transitions in ways that are healthy, the community will not grow, it'll flatten, stasis sets in. And once stasis sets in, Death is sure to follow. Changes in circumstances, changes in environment, leadership, membership within the community shapes us into who we are and gives us a new identity. Beloved, we had eight new members join this morning. Eight lives at just this service who became a part of this family. Their identity is going to shape us as we shape them. That's exciting stuff. That's exciting stuff. 
I wonder, though, back in Joshua's day, when they crossed the Jordan River and they went in to claim the promised land, I, I got to wonder if there were some people of Moses' old guard who com- grumbled about it. I don't want to go. I like being a nomad, Joshua. It feels comfortable being a nomad, Joshua. I don't want to cross the river. I don't want to get wet. Joshua, we have never done it that way before. Joshua, we tried that once. Didn't work out so well. Joshua, who do you think you are? You're not Moses, you know. I wonder if there were people who were grumpy. They liked being nomads. They didn't want to learn how to adapt and to change. They didn't want to learn to adapt to their new environment and context. I mean, let's face it. In church, churches are like that. People are like that. Businesses are like that. We go into a, a, our, our, our families. We know people who are stuck in uh, dysfunctional bad behavior. And they know they need to change. But they don't. Why? They know that their behavior is bad. They don't change because it's hard to change. It's more convenient to be uncomfortable than it is to be uncomfortable and change and feel better. Go figure. Churches are that way too. Churches, is, churches are horrible about change. Well, you don't want to change. Uh-uh. We didn't do it that way. That's not the way my generation did it. You're messing with my church. Friends, we have to adapt. We have to adapt. Beloved, our text today is perfect for our wilderness preparations as a church in that it reminds you and me, it reminds this community called First Presbyterian, this growing community called First Presbyterian Church, that change is real and it's not a bad thing. It reminds us that change and adaption occur, not because the old way was bad and the new way is better. That's not it at all. It's because the circumstances and environment has changed and demands a new way of responding and doing things. The wilderness challenge, my beloved, confronts us with the fact that we don't like change and we find it much easier and simpler to stay as we are and not venture into adventure where God is calling us to be. Part of our struggle as Western Christians today is that we don't like change and that we oftentimes resistant and sometimes resistant violently. Lynn is a time for us, my friends, to identify those sacred cows, those sacred cows in our relationship with the church, with our family, business team. What are those sacred cows that are dysfunctional, that are not working anymore, not because it's a bad system, but because the circumstances and environment has adapted and changed? Lent is our time to identify those sacred cows and then take them to the butcher shop so we can become new people. What has worked for this church in the past may not necessarily work for us now and in the future. What we took for granted in the past, all that manna from God. And you know what I'm talking about. All that manna that was given to this church. The circumstances have changed. The manna is gone. 
Now we have to learn to fend for ourselves with the resources we have. What worked as a nomad is not going to work for a settler. We can't remember and long the manna days, beloved. Those are behind us. We have to live and learn how to be farmers, how to fish, how to till the soil, how to work the ground. Friends, Broward County and metropolitan Fort Lauderdale is not the same place it was 15, 30 years ago. We've done enough funerals for the old timers of this church to hear how the stories have changed in this community since they grew up. The ministry we did in the Benninger, Newman, and Cromie years may not be the same as it is in the Risley, Merchant, Maston years. Why? Is it because our way is better? No. Gosh, no. It's because this is a new missional country that we're living in now, and the land is different, and you and I are being asked to claim the kingdom of God that has evolved and is presenting itself to us today in new ways. What made sense to our nomad forebears may no longer work for tomorrow's settlers and homesteaders. Beloved, this year, First Pres has a new leadership team of Risley Merchant and Maston. It is so cool that Pam's here. It sounds like a law firm. But the cool thing is about this, this team of Risley Merchant and Maston, now that Pam is here, it is complete. And that God has called the three of us as leadership in a new era for this church. As we move into this new era, this new missional field and reality of Broward County and beyond, it will require all of us to adapt to a new way of life and doing things. It means leaving some old ways of doing things and tools behind that will not serve us well in the new land that God is giving us. For example, nomads wouldn't be hauling around a plow in the wilderness. They're not going to use it. They had manna. Who needs a plow? So when you cross the river, what do you do with it? We have to adapt the tools to our culture. It means discovering a new identity as a community of faith, as a people of God known as First Presbyterian. This past Thursday, our session, our group of elders agreed to begin a process of looking at our church's identity as a church. We are no longer Hebrews wandering about we are what in this new era we have evolved God has given us a field and the session has said we are going to go on a leadership advance and now some people use the word retreat I use the word advance because I believe the kingdom of God does not retreat the kingdom of God advances so we're going to go advance the kingdom of God after Easter, and we're going to spend a night and a day mulling over the identity of this church. Your lay leadership realizes our missional country has changed. 
And so we need to pull away for day, a few days of planning, praying, and discerning where God is calling us to go plant fields, to drop lines in the water to fish. It's an exciting time. This is an exciting time to be a part of First Presbyterian Church. I mean, if you didn't see it this morning with these people joining the church, with Allison's baptism, the ones that will happen at the 11 o'clock service, it's an exciting time to be a part of this church. But it requires something of all of us. It requires of us prayer. It requires all of our prayers, and I'm going to task you to be about praying for the leadership of your church and our ministry. If we're no longer nomads, what are we going to be? What skills do we need to learn? I need you to pray. It requires our ability to say no to old ways and old tools and being able to say yes to new ideas And make new traditions. It requires all of us to get our feet wet as we cross the river. It requires some of you to step into, what shall I say, called leadership as elders and deacons when the call is put out. And not push for your agenda. I could care less about your agenda as I could care less about mine. I want us to be called with God's agenda a mission for this community. It requires us, my beloved, to relinquish our sacred cows in the church that each of us hold. And as Bill Esom, a pastor, says, let's make them gourmet spiritual hamburger. Will you join in this journey? Will you? Yeah, I imagine that's what Joshua heard too. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Will you join us on this journey? Yes. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for this day. Praise your name and your holiness. We thank you for this time to... Um, hear your word, be challenged by it, to hear your word and grow by it. Lord, we ask that you would help us as a church to hear and know where we are to wander, to go to and claim. Lord, we ask that you would give us a new identity, that you would raise up new leadership within this congregation. And Lord, that you would just charge us to be the hands and feet in this place. And we ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.